Hey guys, uh, thanks for joining us again today. Um, I'm Tara McCarthy, and this is This Week on the Alt-Right. We have a slightly uh, different topic to start out with today, and Mark Collette is going to introduce it because he knows the most about it and he's the most involved. So what is going on in the UK at the moment, Mark? Hello, Tara, um, and hello to all the other guests. Um, I don't want to hog the show, so I'll just let the guests introduce themselves first. We've got some of our regular panellists, but we're very, very lucky tonight to have Eli back from Identity Europa, which is very good. But quickly, let's just introduce everyone. We'll start with ladies first. So, Brie, if you'd like to say hello and tell us what you've been up to this week and where we can find you. Hey guys, I'm Brie Fauché. Uh, this week I've been working on my series with Mark Collett, as you can plainly see here in the Google Hangout hosting. We're doing a series called Alt-Right 101, where we give kind of a primer or a basic introduction into alt-right issues and why the alt-right exists, and the main things that tend to bother us that we want to see changed. Also, I'm going to be starting a new series with Tiana Dolokhov called On the Right. That should be coming up later this week. You can find me on YouTube at Brie Fauché. Thank you for that, Bree. Stephen is our other regular panelist. Stephen, would you like to tell us what you've been up to this week and where we can find you and support your work, my friend? Sure, it's glad to, I'm glad to be back. You can find me at twitter.com slash stevefranson. I'm also on YouTube as Stephen Franson. And uh, lately I've been exploring the topic of envy. As you all know, my angle on things tends to be more psychological, more self-knowledge based, self-development. So I've been exploring the topic of envy and how that influences people as they fight in the culture war. Thank you for that, Stephen. And we've also got Eli back from Identity Europa. Eli, welcome back again. It's great to have you here, my friend. Um, can you tell us a bit about yourself, where we can find you and what you've been up to this week? Because I hear you've been having a couple of problems of your own. Yeah, so uh, I'm the leader of Identity Europa. Uh, we are an identitarian activist organization in America. And essentially, we have been sued with myself, Nathan D'Amigo, and Identity Europa uh, as a retaliation for Charlottesville, uh, the August 12th rally, you got the right rally. Uh, essentially, this is a totally frivolous lawsuit. It's only meant to tie us down um, and expend our resources. So really, we're kind of asking for people to go and check out um, Identity Europa's Twitter account to see uh, the, the information on how to donate, how to get involved. Uh, we'll be opening up more kind of avenues of donations as we raise funds for this. Uh, but essentially, we are going to be fighting back uh, as far as defense goes, and then getting countersuits. Um, and then we'll want we're going to go pretty much on the offensive here, since we do all know that the issues of Charlottesville were at the fault of the police and local government. So. Um, if you go over to uh, identityeuropa.com as well, we have our donate links, um, as well as the Twitter account kind of explains, uh, you know, exactly how to get involved and how to help us out. Um, as far as uh, us as an organization goes, you can always go to identityeuropa.com slash apply, and we have a pretty long uh, interview process, so you can go over there and check that out as well. Thank you, Eli. Well, that's introduced the panelists. Now, usually we have a range of topics to talk about, and tonight it's uh, no different, really. We do have a range of topics to discuss, but one of them is slightly more pressing. One of them really concerns the future of the alt-right in Britain, 
And as many of you know, some of you obviously won't, so I'm going to spit it out quite openly. ITV, which is one of the biggest channels in the UK, biggest te terrestrial television channels, has been making an undercover documentary for the last six months on the alt-right. They have infiltrated the movement. They have placed operatives within the alt-right, within Anne-Marie Waters' movement, some in and around Rebel, some in the London Forum and the different forums around the UK, some at a Heritage and Destiny meeting, which I attended recently, and also around and within Generation Identity. So this is going to be a very, very wide-ranging and basically large hit piece on the alt-right. This is a hatchet job. This has been not just done by ITV. This is not impartial. This is not a documentary that we have been asked to participate in or to be interviewed for. In fact, this is a documentary which has been all put together in conjunction with Hope Not Hate, the radical left, people who want to see the destruction of Western civilization, and obviously ITV News. Now, here we have a document which was sent to me. And this is marked private and confidential. But to the people at ITV and Hope Not Hate, this is what I think of your confidentiality agreement. And I know where you can shove it, but since this is a family-friendly show, I'm not going to say that live. But I am going to ruin their little exclusive by reading to you what they have sent to me. So ITV, here you go. I am an executive producer representing the independent television production company, Hard Cash Productions. Note from Marky C, hard cash, because they took hard cash from the left to screw over those fighting for Western civilization. This company specializes in current affairs programs, e.g. hatchet jobs. I am writing to inform you that we are producing a program for ITV's flagship current affairs strand called Exposure, which is currently scheduled for broadcast on ITV on November the 9th, 2017 at 10.35 p.m. The documentary is examining the resurgence of the far right in Britain, its expansion on and use of the internet and social media. The internationalization of the far right with cooperation and contact between groups and individuals on a scale not seen before. Note from me, this is why they're absolutely bricking it, because we're getting our act together and we scare them. The, the recruiting of more women, and young people to different groups and the impact that this is having on British society. We will discuss concerns that groups and individuals on the far right are able at a time when Britain is becoming increasingly polarized to attract more mainstream support than ever before. We will also look at recent race and hate crime statistics and in the context of hardening attitudes of both left and right, whether the rhetoric and actions of those on the far right is contributing to an atmosphere where certain communities are being demonized and targeted. Mark, the program. Um, let's yes? not read the whole thing. I mean, it's maybe you can post it somewhere for people to read because it's getting a little tedious. 
But I, okay. I think we get the idea. Um, well, basically, this turn here. Well, basically, the document is relatively long and it features um, some allegations. The allegations against myself, I can't speak for allegations against other people because the allegations um, against others I haven't seen. Apparently there are extensive allegations against the young leader of Generation Identity in the UK. There are allegations against Anne-Marie Walters and there are allegations against numerous other people. Now, to ruin the show's big hit piece on me, they have said that I have said the following, which I did, I'm not denying this, and I will tell you in a minute what my response to this is. Our undercover footage captured you speaking about a recent trip to Latvia. You said, it's like I died and gone to heaven. No degenerates, everyone's white, and any lefties that turn up get their heads kicked in. I thought this is perfect. If I could speak Latvian, I would move to Latvia. So that is essentially their big hit piece on me. Now, number one, I am not cooking. Number two, I am not apologizing. Number three, I am not retracting my statement. I stand by what I said. I want to live in a homogenous white community. I want to live in a homogenous white community where the traditional family are put first and our ways of life, our culture, our heritage is first and foremost and degeneracy is not promoted, especially not to our children. And finally, do I believe that lefties should have their heads kicked in? Well, the answer to that is, if you turn up at our rallies, at our events, and you seek to do violence to us, then yes, you deserve exactly what you get. And if you go away after receiving a sound thrashing, that's what you deserved. Don't come looking for trouble and then cry like a child when trouble finds you. So I don't believe that, well, I, I've not said anything wrong, and I'm certainly not apologizing for it. Um, and I don't believe that we in the alt-right nationalists should be disavowing, we shouldn't be cooking, and we shouldn't be throwing anyone under the bus. At times like this, group need to stand together. Now, I'm going to put this out to the panel in a minute, but at times like this, we need to stand together. We're only as strong as our weakest links, and the enemy are looking for squealers. They're looking for people who are going to literally start squealing and flapping and running around and disavowing and putting the fear into everyone. Because that kind of panic, that kind of fear, those disavowals are what destroys a movement. And I personally will be standing my ground and I hope you will all stand with me. I hope that everyone who tunes into this show, I hope that all the people who have supported us, and believe me, I have a lot of love for you all. This show's been fantastic. We've built a great audience and we couldn't have done it without you. And I am eternally grateful to everyone that tunes in, supports us, likes and shares. But we as a group, we need to stand together. And I hope we can all weather this storm. Because believe me, better days are coming. We will win this fight. We will carry on taking the fight to our enemies. And we will stand by what we believe in. But people who don't stand with us 
through these dark times don't deserve to stand with us in the good times when we've achieved our victory. This is a time when we need to be like brothers and sisters. This is what I always talk about, community. We need to be a community and we need to stand together. And I believe some of the young lads on there, I don't know exactly what they've said, they may have said things that might be silly. They may have said things that might be outrageous. They may have said things that might put other people off. But these are young lads who've been brought up in a country where they're no longer welcome, where they're becoming second-class citizens, where they're losing their identity and their culture, and they are being abused for who they are. Now, what they have said might be unpalatable, but we all get angry at times. We all say things that we don't mean that we might regret later down the line. But for people to send undercover journalists into these young people's homes is unforgivable. This is a hatchet job, and it has been done by hope, not hate, and by people who hate us and want to destroy us. If you play their game, you're helping them. And that's why we're all here on this panel tonight, united. Now, obviously, we can comment more on our show on November the 10th after that particular hatchet job has been aired. But thank you for everyone listening. I know this has been a bit of a long monologue, and sorry if reading some of that board. I wanted to read a little bit more because I wanted you to know exactly what they're alleging. But I suppose if I can send this on to Tara, she can post a link to it in the description. But I'm going to open up the discussion about this to other people. Now, obviously, I'm the only uh, British panelist today, but I'm sure we've all had great experience of disavowals and cooking after things like Charlottesville. I'm sure that Eli knows about that. I'm sure Bree does, and I'm sure Stephen has his own unique perspective on this too. So I'm going to open this up to Eli, and I'm also going to be taking questions. I'm going to be taking questions from everyone in the audience, and we'll deal with this issue first tonight. So if anyone's got questions for me, if anyone's got questions for the panelists on this, um, we will deal with those, we'll address your concerns, and we'll go from there. But for now, over to Eli. So, thanks. So I actually, I knew a little bit about this kind of stuff kind of coming into this. I just heard people talking about it in some of the groups I'm in. So it is troubling to kind of hear exactly what's going on. But I think what you said about essentially people coming together as a community and not kind of cucking and things like that, uh, this is incredibly important. People need to understand that we need to have revolutionary discipline within our movement, um, within the whole dissident right, really, where we need to understand that um, this really is war through another means. This is, pol this, is, this is very dirty politics. And as we continue to gain traction and uh, grow as a movement, they're going, the reaction to us is going to be much greater. Um, you mentioned Charlottesville. So after Charlottesville, there were a number of people uh, within this movement who essentially uh, backed out of the movement or uh, started kind of cucking or freaking out, getting blackpilled. Um, and what they need to understand, what people need to understand is that this movement is not going away. What no people in history has really given up, you know, their own civilization to another civilization, to another group of people. And what we're seeing now is a natural reaction against this system that we have today, this sort of status quo system with multiculturalism, multiracialism, and, and really the destruction of our, of our countries. Um, this is a natural reaction, what we're seeing today. And our people are waking up very, very fast. 
So what that really means is that our movement is really the kind of riding on top of this wave and trying to direct this energy and this natural phenomenon. So when you cuck on things like Charlottesville or when you cuck on things like infiltration and things like that, yes, it might suck. It might be bad. Uh, it might be something like to deal with, but it's not about those mistakes or those issues that you have. It's how we kind of just push through them and how we really deal with them um, and, and how we come out on the other end. So just realize that this, this situation that we're in globally, our people are in globally uh, as a, essentially a European diaspora um, in our own countries most of the time. Uh, we have to understand that this backlash, this kind of, this thing is natural and the system is going to react naturally against it. So that we have to really just don't, don't break, don't waver, you know, hold the line if you're kind of giving kind of like a military type of, uh, or a strategy type of uh, uh, connotation to it. Um, so it's very, very important. The other thing too, as far as people saying, you know, um, things that might be edgy or some things that might be hard for someone for yourself to defend, even if uh, uh, you might, even if you do or agree with it or something like that. Um, look, they need to understand. This is what I've basically been telling uh, people that have been kind of watching our movement from the outside. We are essentially a, a counter cultural force and the part of what we say and part of what we're, what we're, what we're doing and part of the way we communicate with each other and things like that is uh, to talk about taboo subjects. I mean, a large part of this movement was came from like poll and things like that, where the whole point was talking about taboo subjects so and, and in an edgy way and in a comedic way. And that's what comedy and that's what these types of, and, and that's what uh, satire and these types of things are. And these have been political tools specifically in European countries, but across the world since the very beginning of time. Um, I mean, you can look back at the French Revolution. You can look back in even Roman times where these type of satirical and types of uh, jovial or edgy comments that are really pushing the edge was really how um, political consciousness moved forward. So whenever these people really try to hold your feet to the fire, um, I think that it's important or, or one strategy that people should always go with um, is explaining that because I don't think that there's anyone you know left or right that doesn't understand that. Um, always you'll have people who no matter what will just stonewall you and disagree with you because of our views. But overall, people understand that that's how these types of shifts in consciousness and uh, paradigm shifts work. So um, I think that you're right. We need to kind of close ranks and everyone needs to chill out um, and, and not uh, not cuck on this situation. And I, I think the way you're handling it's great, Mark. Well, um, I think we, yeah, we've seen a very similar kind of thing with Charlottesville, you know, when Charlottesville happened um, and obviously I think about three people died that day in that location, not as any fault of uh, people who are actually involved in the rally, um, but just for various reasons, such as the police helicopter crashing and uh, whatever happened with a schizophrenic guy crashing into another car that hence caused a heart attack or something. Um, so yeah, we have seen a lot of problems. Obviously some people were imprisoned, including um, Cantwell was imprisoned for using pepper spray even though, you know, from my perspective, he did so in a completely legal manner, but he's still in prison for that, awaiting uh, trial and bail or whatever. Um, and of course, we see a lot of people, I'm not going to mention names, but, you know, anyone who's observing can see who those people are, who immediately uh, take a big step back from the alt-right and uh, start 
cucking, as we call it, and start uh, disavowing, etc. And um, you know, it's it's kind of understandable why people would have that reaction. It's they're scared, right? They they uh, they're fearful about what being involved is going to do for their reputation, uh, or possibly. As uh, someone's been saying on a lot of live streams, we're all going to end up in prison because we're being involved in this in one way or another. So, you know, that's not very uh, pleasant for anyone to, um, you know, think of, think of uh, as an outcome. So I think what we have to focus on, though, is um, not being scared away um, from for silly reasons like someone making an un undercover documentary where there are some kids saying perhaps some mean or rude things or even some quite outlandish things because we know what kids are like and we know that that doesn't define our movement nor does that define um, what we want or why we're here and I think uh, what Eli is saying is right we need to stand firm and we need to um, stand up for what we believe in and speak out. And I think what Mark said there is correct as well, that the left are so used to being able to push us around. And um, we need to be able to, now that we're actually standing up to them, they're kind of just kind of throwing a fit, you know, they're having a tantrum. They're poking us in every direction that they can get away with. And they want us to uh, basically get out of their way and let them continue destroying our countries. But we're not willing to do that, so we need to stand firm, um, regardless of whether we get a few scratches here and there. It's not a huge deal. We have to be willing to make sacrifices. Um, but at the same time, we should go out of a way to do everything legally and to ensure that everything appears to be 100% legal as well. Um, and that there is no question about that. So, for example, you know, we have previously criticized Cantwell. Maybe it's unfair to pick on him, uh, but he's a good example of what not to do. You know, he uh, he got in a relationship with Vice and said, "Hey, look, I'm going to show you all my guns. I'm going to I'm going to say some badass stuff." And uh, he ended up in prison, and pretty much the whole of mainstream media demonized him. So it's almost like trial by media. He hasn't done anything illegal, as far as I'm aware but he's still in prison to this day. So we have to we have to go above and beyond basic standards for what's legal and what's acceptable. So when we see kids, you know, saying really stupid things, even in the comfort of their own home, even doing things like using the N-word, etc., you might uh, think, well, why can't I do that in the comfort of my own home? Why can't I do that? It's just funny, it's just a joke or whatever. But no, uh, if we want to win this thing, we have to have extremely high standards and we have to be better than the left. So I know it's not fair, but it's just the situation that we're in. Also, you have to know what you're getting into from the start. This isn't a movement that's for the faint of heart. This movement is for people who are tough and can withstand the blows that will undoubtedly come. When I came out as alt-right back in January, I spent like a good solid month trying to decide if that was something I wanted to do because I realized the undertaking. I realized that the left, well, they had already come after me. And I thought that, well, if I can withstand that, I can hopefully withstand anything. So you really have to know what you're getting into because this movement is for tough people. And we have to remain tough 
when these types of things happen. I remember when I was at American Renaissance this year, I got really cozy and friendly with a couple of girls, a girl and a guy, and uh, we just got to talking, and I thought I was among my own who thought the same as me. And I didn't say anything that I haven't already said before. It wasn't anything too extreme. But uh, when you get around people that you're comfortable with and you think you're of like minds, things come out. And I'm sure ITV caught a few things that just came out. But I was informed later by a couple of other people that they thought the young ladies I was talking to were infiltrators. And we just have to make sure that when we even are among our own kind here, then we're talking to people who we think are allies. Like Tara said, you still have to clean it up a little bit. And I realized on this documentary, maybe there are a few kids who said some outlandish things. That's going to happen. All movements attract people who are really on the fringe. But at the same time, the more they do that to these kids, the more I think that one of these kids is going to get absolutely humiliated and it's going to destroy their life. And once people get to that point, they realize that they have nothing to lose and they just get more committed. And you just have to look at it as the more they come at me, and if I were to ever get doxxed or if they were to come after my family or what have you, it's only going to make me tougher. It's not going to make me stick my tail between my legs and run. We need to get tougher from that adversity. We need to be anti-fragile. And remember that the left never disavows their crazies. And I'm not saying that uh, we should be all for people who obviously have bad optics, even though I'm really sick of talking about optics at this point. But uh, yeah, we need to just remember to stay strong when these kind of things happen because it's, it's only going to get worse. They call it a culture war for a reason. We are in war here. Not only the tough are going to survive, we are always on the offense. We're not like the conservatives. We're not on the defense. We're going to be on the offense, and being on the offense requires us to be strong. Yeah, I agree with Bree really underscoring that there's, well, we'll need to be strong. And, you know, if our arguments are superior, then our intelligence will probably be superior and we can mobilize that intelligence toward affecting greater change than the left in comparison. So something I would say to people out there is, you know, and this is how I live my life and I'd like to bring things into the personal. This is extremely difficult to spend time with me. And that is for a particular reason. If you have the best arguments, you really have to conduct yourself as though you have the best arguments. You have to conduct yourself as a rare commodity. So I don't, I don't much care for, and you know, different people have different takes on this, but I don't, I don't much care for courting people who are, how would I say, poisonous, antithetical to my existence. So I don't, I don't give the media the time of day. Now I understand others have a different way of looking at this. But I'm, I'm ready and I'm willing to sit for decades and use my persuasion skills and my argumentation to make the case for a more just and more philosophical society. And that is where my strength lies. So I don't want to give up my personal power by allowing people into my life that I can't fully 100% vet. So that would be my contribution to this sort of thought is that to this, you know, thread of discussion is you really, really, really want to be clear on who's coming into your life because they could have a recorder on them at any and all times. And it's no fun to have to start self-censoring. So it's better to just look at who's coming around. Thank you. Now we've got some questions, obviously, about this. Um, the first is quite a good one. Why did they warn us? Why did they give us a chance to strategize 
Hopefully, they just got cocky. Well, actually, um, that was in the final bit of the document I was reading before Tara cut me off. Um, I'll just quickly go over that. Um, they have to give you a chance to respond if they if they've made undercover recordings of you and they say in the interests of fairness we are writing to give the opportunity to respond to evidence that we have obtained and criticisms we intend to include in the program we ask you provide a written statement by 5 p.m on friday the 3rd of november to ensure your response can be included in the program we will edit any such statement to ensure your comments are fairly and accurately reflected in the program in accordance with the ofcom broadcasting code so that's just a load of crap um now now, I obviously provided them with a written response, um, and my written response was that I'm not scared of them. Um, if they wanted my opinions, I would have happily given them my opinions, which coincide with what they secretly recorded anyway, and I offered them a full interview, a competitive interview, and they haven't taken me up on that. They refused to discuss it with me. They refused to debate with me. This is not an impartial documentary. This is not a documentary that was created so that we could have dialogue, so that we could put our views across fairly. This was created with hope, not hate. So this documentary is going to be everything bad about the movement cobbled together in such a way to try and alienate the public from us. And that is why we can't disavow that's why that's what they want us to do now what i mean by this is whenever you're engaged in any form of say warfare you draw a line and let's call this ideological warfare our enemies will look for what i call squealers and squealers are people who are weak they are people who squeal like a stuck pig as soon as trouble comes along. And our enemies will pick upon these squealers because they want these squealers to shriek and make a loud noise because loud noises and shrieking, flapping individuals cause panic and fear. And when there's panic and fear in our ranks, that leads to a rout. And in military terms, that leads to your army turning and running away. And believe me, when you're running away from the field of battle, that is when you are most easy to be cut down. That is when the cavalry charge you and scatter your ranks and you are cut down like cattle. The only way to survive these events is to stand shoulder to shoulder and to look your enemy in the eye and don't flinch. And I'll tell you this, if the left are attacked on anything, they never disavow, they never, they never cook, they never give each other up. I remember in the UK when there was the big scandal about the paedophile information exchange being linked with prominent French front bench Labour Party members of parliament. None of those people were disavowed. None of them were forced to give apologies and they never turned on their own. The problem we have is these squealers will be squealing, there'll be panic in our ranks and there shouldn't be. You've got to remember with any of these TV shows, what is a big buzz at the time is only watched by a relatively small number of the population and it disappears relatively quickly. We have a noble cause and that's saving our civilization. Do not be a squealer, do not be a coward. Stand by your guns. Well, something I wanted to add, and, and this was, you know, it sort of ties back to something that Eli and I were exchanging on last week uh, during the previous show, 
And that's that you really got to know at what level you're going to enter the fray. Uh, you know, are you going to be a lawyer and, you know, sort of fight the lawfare? Are you going to be a delicatessen manager? You know, we cannot divorce ourselves from economics. And so that means that each of us has to make a personal decision to understand what level it is that we're going to be fighting at. Now, some of us are willing to give our entire lives to see the world become a much, a much more just and philosophical place. Uh, now, some of us are vulnerable let's just say, and this is a war, and there are vulnerabilities that the enemy can pounce on. And so we really want to look at that and understand that a lot of it boils down to finance. Money really runs the world. And so if you want to be sure that you can carry yourself far into the fight, that you have your money right. And a lot of people don't. And so fight at the level that you can, contribute at the level that you can, and just try to build yourself up. Okay, and there was one more question on this. Are there any legal ramifications for you or others regarding this documentary? For me, um, I don't believe there will be. I was, at a, um, I was at a meeting that was advertised. I gave a speech. I made the comment that I said. I can't imagine um, there will be legal ramifications for me. I, uh, they're obviously going to try to link the movement in with national action. I have already said that young people should not be involved in groups like that and they should be positively campaigning with groups like Generation Identity, Identity Europa, and other community-based groups. That has always been my point. My book says that. Um, if there is legal ramifications for young people, then if anyone does want to reach out to them and donate to their legal costs or write to them, I'm sure that will be very, very gratefully received. I don't want to see any of these young people in that situation. Now, I, I, can, um, I can just add one last thing before we move on, unless anyone else wants to add anything after me. But I've seen a huge number of people over my life, I've been doing this 17 years, I say that sort of every time we're on, but that's a long time, that's pushing two decades inside this movement. And I've seen a lot of people's lives destroyed. I've seen a lot of young people come into this movement, get caught out on these documentaries, and they get broken. They get broken down, they get seen on these things, they get disavowed, it affects their family lives, it affects their lives with their partners. I've seen young men who are married with children, lose their wives and lose access to their children over things like this. Now, all I can say is, I am not in any way siding with the people who do this to our people. The people who have done this, the people who have put this hatchet job together are scum. They are utter vermin, despicable. Because sooner or later, some young lad who's frustrated and angry is gonna say something in their own home to someone they trusted and believe me, it might not be palatable, but what you say in your own home is your own business. And we live in a world where people walk down the street at gay pride parades, naked, waving sex toys, pushing degeneracy in front of children. And these creeps are going into the homes of our supporters and secretly filming them, like they're committing a crime for saying something in the privacy of their own home. That's despicable. And if any of these young lads do harm themselves, or God forbid, try to commit suicide or anything like that due to the pressure that ITV and Hope Not Hate have put upon them. That will be a very, very sad day. And I don't want to see any of these people, regardless of what they've said in anger or madness, and believe me, I might not agree with what they've said, and I might certainly not have said it myself, 
but I don't want to see any of these young men going through that hell. So I, my final plea to everyone is, please keep our powder dry, don't cook out, and stand shoulder to shoulder. If they have said silly things, they can speak for themselves, and they can apologize. But believe me, I don't want to see another generation of good young people ruined by these leftist creeps. That's not right, and I've been there myself. Most people who know my history know that I was subject to one of these documentaries when I was young. Now, it didn't break me, and I don't want to see it breaking anyone else. Um, so, you know, my, my thoughts go out to anyone who's suffering from stress through this, and believe me, I certainly will not be turning my back on this movement or running away with my tail between my legs. And I will continue to stand, as I'm sure everyone else who is here on the panel tonight will, in defense of the most precious thing we have, which is our own people. So, unless there's any other questions, um, then, you know, if there is, please keep asking them and we can always tee them up at the end. But there is another host of uh, different topics we can also talk about because this isn't the only thing in the news. Obviously, this is called This Week on the Alt-Right because we discuss issues that, you know, are pertinent for our movement. But we also discuss things that are in the press. And obviously, today, I woke up to the news that... Eight people and a eight people were killed and a further 15 were injured by an Islamic immigrant in New York City who went on a rampage in a car. Now, again, this man is an immigrant. He is Islamic. DC and the press here in the UK have been describing this as a vehicle attack, as if, as if the vehicle was some sentient being, a transformer perhaps. Maybe it, was, maybe it was a Transformer from the Michael Bay films that was an evil Decepticon and just chose by its own volition to mow down people. Or maybe it was something to do with the fact that the guy was aligned with ISIS, but the press don't really want to talk about that. Instead, the liberals are trying to blame this on the car itself. But I'm going to put this out to the panel. What do you guys think about this? And what do you guys think to the, frankly, scandalous reactions from the left-wing press? I'm going to throw this out to, who wants to speak first on this one? I can go. Um, Eli. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I think that the hottest take, I, I linked it here in the chat, but is the uh, Tariq Nasheed take, which is, he tweeted out, so a Muslim white identity extremist named the guy who did this committed a terrorist act today, and some people still find a way to blame Obama. Um, this is hilarious. First of all, I mean, for those of you who don't know Tariq Nasheed, he thinks that everything is suspected white supremacy. But it also shows, like, just how hard the left will go to really, like, even situations where they are totally not in their favor, like, politically, they'll still try to, like, squeeze some type of juice out of it to use it. Um, that, that's, that's absolutely insane. Uh, trying to blame these an attack by a, a Muslim from Uzbekistan on you know white supremacy or whatever um, is totally insane. Um, and then the other part of his tweet saying you know people still find a way to blame Obama. Look, this guy was part of this diversity visa program in America, which admittedly is a small a small program as far as the no total number of refugees or the total number of people using it. Um, however, it's a completely useless system. It's a, it's a ridiculous idea. The fact that we need to admit people on a lottery system solely based on this idea, this magical principle of diversity is absolutely insane. Um, but he got in that way and then he overstayed his visa basically. 
Um, and, and it just shows, really, we have no reason to take these people in. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so I think that, uh, honestly, people are becoming kind of, in two ways, either kind of immune to these attacks where they don't really think it, like, oh, another thing happened, and then they move on in another couple of days, which is a little worrying. But also, it's making people who are getting bothered by it kind of wake up, I think, and really see what's going on. I mean, I've seen people already who maybe a couple months ago were like saying, you know, I don't want to ban Muslims from the country or I don't want to ban immigration, uh, but we should look at our policies, maybe do some extreme vetting. Um, and now they're basically calling for the, you know, complete shutdown of the borders for 50 years and things like that, which, I mean, th those are good developments, I think, overall, um, if, if there is a silver lining to any of this type of stuff. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I totally agree with you there, Eli. Obviously, this whole diversity visa, the fact that he came in on a diversity visa, this is what diversity gives us, you know. It's certainly not a strength. Um, and it's just, it's it's very, uh, I think it's very appropriate that he came in on a diversity visa because that's exactly, uh, sends exactly the right message for public. You give out visas, based on people's race, a variety of different random races um, and countries of origin, rather than on even such a thing as merit, as Trump is proposing. And what you get back is uh, the most undesirable people you can possibly imagine in your country. So yeah, I'm, I'm obviously completely against this kind of visa program. Um, one thing I want to point out, just because some people seem too afraid to point this out for some reason, even though it should be obvious to everyone, if we didn't allow any Muslims into our countries, then uh, we wouldn't be suffering from any Islamic terrorism. And we'd probably have about 3,000 people um, who have been killed in the West by Muslim terrorists would be alive right now. So. That's uh, how I feel about the situation. I see no reason whatsoever that we should allow any of them into our country. I think we should, into our countries. I think we should quarantine Islam. I think that is the strongest and best message we have on this topic. Quarantine Islam. Don't let them move into our countries because all they do is spread their insane ideology that results in people getting killed, uh, raped, and uh, all sorts of other horrible things. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'd say, and I think that if people really can't um, stand a no-Muslim immigration policy, we should simply advocate for a memorandum. Uh, so no immigration whatsoever, um, except perhaps uh, net neutral immigration. So say if 10 people immigrate from France, then we can have 10 people immigrate to France kind of thing uh, from the same country. That's how that would work. So, yeah, that's my opinion, really. Um, let's hear from Bree. Well, I completely agree with you, Tara, 100%, as far as quarantining Islam. I'll say the thing you're not supposed to say. I consider Islam to be a death cult. I just, it, it terrifies me completely. And when you really get to talking to a lot of these kind of light-handed liberals, they're not like really far to the left, but they'll tell you that it scares them too, but they don't know how to express that because the language has been completely stripped from them. And the truth about the U.S. is that we did not learn our lesson from 9-11. Right after 9-11, we should have shut the border down, particularly to all these countries that have a high rate of Islamic terror, a high rate of things like honor killings or female genital mutilation. There should have been a complete shutdown of the border then before they had a chance to even have things like 
diversity visas. I didn't even know that was a thing. And when I look at the news clips of this now, of these attacks, every time they happen, they're used in the exact same ways over and over and over again. The left will use it as a way to give more and more sympathy to Islam. I saw right away, there was an article, I forget from where, but like right away, I, I came home, I went out to dinner with a friend last night, came home about two hours after the attack happened, and logged online. One of the first articles I saw was a Muslim sympathy type of thing. Um, we need to have sympathy for Muslims out there. And then people, like the neocons, use it in another way where uh, they want to use it for more government laws, more vetting. Well, we've seen proof here that the vetting obviously isn't working. If you, the, the answer can't possibly be more government because the government that we have implementing to look at these people and have more immigration laws, obviously that's just not working. And uh, yeah, then we get people going after us for hate speech. You can always count on that every single time one of these attacks happens. We have the left creating sympathy for Islam, then we have the right, people like Theresa May every time there's an attack over in the UK, wanting to go after people for more hate speech. So the answer is never to cut off the border. The left just doubles down on opening the border every single time this happens now, and we can just expect to see that again and again and again. And I know these are all things that we're used to hearing, and we feel like we're in an echo chamber because we're always throwing it back and forth. Islam is bad. We need to shut down the border. We need to not have any more immigration. But we just have to continue pounding these same points home over and over and over again every time this happens until it gets through to the average person who doesn't have the guts to say something against Islam until they realize they're not alone and you can speak out against it. Something that I want to add, and I think that was really powerful, Bree. And, and, you know, to go a little to my Ron Paul days is to say that we do have to close our overseas bases. And I think it would be an absolutely fair trade if the if Islam was not allowed in the West and in return, we would close our overseas bases in the Middle East. And I do want to acknowledge that Islam is bad in and of itself. It is a death cult and it is bent on totalitarian uh, takeover of the entire planet and that Islam means submission and that it does all sorts of terrible things to the people who become adherents. But I do think we have some power and we do have some influence with our troops and with our foreign policy. You saw what happened with the Trump train when Trump uh, bombed Syria. He bombed an airfield in Syria and the Trump train just rose up. And I think if we can stay strong on this, you know, military interventionism from the United States as empire building and really point out that this doesn't, this just creates lots of problems for us. And we're not even taking the oil. <laughs> That's the thing. We're just killing people and stationing troops, and then there's no oil being taken, no gold being taken, no spoils of war. So it's just a it's just a murder machine. And so I don't want to be you know sort of too compassionate to Islam here, but I I sort of do harken back to my my Ron Paul days and say, look, we have to oppose globalism in all forms, whether it's empire building or if it is the Islamic death cult taking over the world. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you there when you talk about um, it's just another form of globalism where they feel they need to go put troops into all these Muslim countries. I don't think uh, that's protecting, you know, the West whatsoever, putting all these troops in. In fact, it seems to be doing the exact opposite, causing us to be flooded by their so-called refugees who see an opportunity to 
come into our countries um, as claiming victimhood. And yeah, a lot of them have been bombed. I mean, I think it's, I can't even remember, is it a bomb every single day that a bomb was in office or something crazy like that? Uh, so the left is clearly not for peace in that manner. In fact, I think it's the only political movement that I know of, perhaps uh, the Green Party, but is the alt-right saying, no, we don't want to be involved in these foreign wars. There's no benefit to us. And we don't even want to spend taxes on it. Why should we be involved in this? We just want to go our separate ways, let the Muslims have their lands and do their thing, and we'll have our lands and do our thing. That's all we want. I think it's important to remember who we're fighting these foreign wars for, which is Israel. I did a large document, well, not large, I mean, it's a large podcast, but like a mini documentary on this on my YouTube channel. I'm not going to go into it in detail now because obviously it took about 30 minutes to put together and it's full of um, information um, on basically how people during the run-up to the war in Iraq and during the run-up to the problems in Syria were basically being influenced heavily by the Israeli lobby to the point where Tony Blair admitted in the Iraq inquiry that he had secret meetings with representatives of the Israeli government. And those meetings were not made public, but they did influence the flow of war. And the fact is, we have been fighting these foreign wars for Israel. We have been destabilizing the Middle East to make sure Israel remains the predominant power in that region. And after these wars have been fought, after this destruction has been caused, where do these people flood into? Well, it's the West. But in this case, he wasn't from one of these countries. I believe he was from Uzbekistan, this particular um, murderous terrorist, which means, he wasn't fleeing any war, he was just coming here because he wanted a better way of life and he made life worse for everyone. And the fact that the left support this isn't just about globalism, the fact the left support this is they know Islam is not compatible with the West and the left push everything that isn't compatible with the West or is wholly destructive to the West. They push feminism, they push Islam, they push the LGBT agenda. Anything that threatens our way of life the left wants. And that is why they are so keen on mass immigration, because the left want to destroy us. They hate the indigenous European people, they hate people of European descent, and they want us to be bred out. Now, at one time, when I used to say this to people, I was called a conspiracy theorist. But now, the left are pulling down posters that say, it's okay to be white, and calling that a racist statement. Because ultimately, their narrative is that it's not okay to be white that we are people who need to be bred out and we need to be destroyed and our way of life, our culture and our heritage needs to be confined to the dustbin of history. This is a war to destroy not only the West, but to destroy the people who created the West and to make sure ultimately there are no more of those people on this planet. And immigration serves that purpose. And as you saw just yesterday, immigration serves that purpose because they are importing people who actively want to kill us. So we shall move on to our next topic. And the next topic is, is now branded racist by liberals. Yes, again, we see the slippery slope in action. Now, when they pulled down Confederate monuments, we were told that this was because the Confederacy 
was built on slavery, that Confederate monuments were a problem because they harked back to a racist past. But that's not the case. Pulling down Confederate monuments wasn't about racism, it wasn't about slavery. It was about getting white people habituated to seeing their culture and their heritage destroyed. And it wasn't long after the Confederate monuments began to fall that they were calling for Nelson's column in Trafalgar Square to be pulled down. Then they were calling for Christian monuments to World War I soldiers to be modified or destroyed because they were secular. Now they are calling the, pro the poppy racist. And this is all part of the attack on our people and our heritage and our culture. But it is just a small microcosm of that because we see this attack in our everyday lives. And I'll open this up to the panel about this and do you have any personal experience of this kind of thing and i think eli's got something to say oh, here. i'll yeah. pass it over to you my friend yeah for sure so when we first did charlottesville one um uh where we went there and kind of did the initial tiki torch rally and kind of spoke about this um the reason that i cared more, more about that so much about that is because i saw it as a domino in this sort of like what i would call anti-white iconoclasm Fundamentally, the left understands the power of physical symbols in the real world and what that means to the psyche of a people. So they know when they go after those things um, that they're they're affecting the soul of the people in a lot of ways. So when they kind of like uh, you know give the justification, oh, it's because of racism. Um, you know, I saw that. No, I know what you're really doing. That's the these these Confederate monuments are just the first uh, domino in a long line of of basically tearing down. Um, our, our past and our history and really making it so that no one can kind of feel attached to physical representations of their people. Um, after Charlottesville 2, I was asked by the Huffington Post, believe it or not, um, why we were protesting at the Jefferson Monument on the UVA campus. And I said, because I, I have heard that they're going to come after the Jefferson Monument next. Um, and I thought, and I explained this concept to them that it's, you know, anti-white iconoclasm and they mocked me in the piece saying, there's no evidence that anyone's going to be coming after the Jefferson monument. Um, and literally three days after that, three days, a bunch of anti-fun black lives matter showed up at the statue, defacing it and calling for it to be torn down. And this is the founder of their college. So this is just continuing, continuing things. So they're going to come after things like Lincoln. They're going to come after things like Washington in our, in our way. And I've told French reporters constantly, they're going to ransack the Louvre. They're going to tear down the, the monuments to Charles Martel. Like your ancestors fought for these things and gave up their lives and, and went through horrible, horrible struggles. And all so that you can have a better life in the future. And you're basically throwing these things away. Um, and, and it really just shows how like mentally and spiritually sick our people are um, when really we, we do know that a, a large portion of the people trying to get these things removed are in fact our own people who have just been brainwashed um, by the system. So I think that you know by removing any of these physical barriers or these physical representations to us, you know we do need to see these as existential threats to us because what it is is it's the pre kind of conditions that they're laying down to justify violence against us. If you remove our physical representations and then you go to the next step and you continue to then remove maybe uh, you know legal rights and things like that, this is all a pretense 
to commit violence against us is, is really what it is. And they understand this, whether consciously or subconsciously, it doesn't matter. The left fundamentally understands what they're doing. They've done this before and they're going to continue to try to do it again. But I think that they don't understand, they haven't expected um, people like us that really understand what they're doing to rise up. You know, we were not part of their plan, I guess you could say. Um, and it's very important that we realize that a, a poppy is not just a flower. A statue is not, or a statue is not just a statue. These are the spiritual and physical representations of our people, and removing them is going to continue us down this path of sickness that we see in our people. Well, Eli, I wanted to, you know, you said something about uh, icona, iconoclasm, or man, forgive me, I'm getting the word right, but. Uh, you know, an author that I got into was Neil Postman. And Neil Postman, for all his faults, made a really good point. And that's he, he said that television killed Christianity. And what he meant by this is that suddenly this, this sacred image, these icons of, you know, Jesus, the Virgin Mary, these sorts of things, were easily reproducible. Suddenly they were broadcast all over the globe. And the sacred element of a person's experience of these icons was lost because now it's cheap. Now it's everywhere. And the left understands that if they can take these images and deconstruct them, they'll gain a foothold in the minds of people. But the thing they don't reckon on, and this is this is where I have something to add, is that when you do this deconstruction, 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 you are whittling things down to the bone, but the bone will remain. And now we're seeing people on the right wing understanding the value of organized religion, particularly the Christian faith, but also others are advocating for paganism and these sorts of things. And also something that slipped in there is philosophy. So people are starting to base their worldviews and their spiritual lives on something that is more tangible than some attachment to uh, iconography. So the communists really aren't counting on this. They see that they've got the upper hand because they're taking down these monuments. But what they don't understand is that we, people on the right wing, are seeing this happen. And we're understanding that we're going to have to get even more sophisticated. We're going to have to host these uh, on in private spaces. We're going to take over the government uh, system to ensure that these leftists aren't running the government and dictating what happens in these public spaces. And so they're really going to lose in the long run. They're gaining the upper hand right now, but it's very short term. Because there's And also the other thing is there's only so many statues they can take down. So people will turn to more and more substantive things than an attachment to some sort of statue or some sort of icon in the public space. And that ultimately will bear out really well for us. And the thing I've experienced a lot is that normies are not okay with this. I've talked to lots of people because I went to Charlottesville 1.0 and after I came back I talked to a few people just average people out in the world and we everybody wants to talk about politics these days and even they said they were not okay with these statues being taken down it's not something the left wants us to think this is a really popular idea and that we have to get rid of white supremacy get rid of whites and if white supremacy is gone then finally we'll have peace but the average person that I've talked to out there is not okay with that. So we have to remember that this is something that the far left is pushing. And I really, truly don't believe that they are in the majority when they say these kind of things. Just from what I'm hearing the average person talk about. Well, uh, so, so maybe a little bit off topic, but um, 
I saw recently that one of the flyers that the leftists are freaking out about right now is one that says simply, it's okay to be white, period. <laughs> okay. So I actually think this is an awesome strategy. And I'd love if we all kind of took that on as a motto, it's okay to be white, and just like tweet that out, Facebook post that out, um, etc. And what you'll see is how triggered the left get and obviously if you have flyers you could put up in university i know identity europa into that kind of thing maybe you guys could even take that slogan on um and you you see how freaked out they get how they're like wow this is a hate crime we better like report it to the local press put it in the newspaper and i think a lot of white normie people are going to wake up <laughs> they're going to see this and they're going to say oh interesting the whole of the left is freaking out about it being okay to be white. That's very, very telling. So I actually think such a flyer is far more useful than a kind of triggering Nazi flyer, which is, uh, is kind of expected people will freak out about that. And I think quite a lot of normies think that's fine and dandy. Uh, so I think that it, in a way, toning down our message and having the left still freak out about it actually shows the onlookers uh, who is sane in this situation. Um, and just moving on from that a bit, I think that the, uh, what you might call the redneck right, <laughs> those people who live in flyover country in the US, those people who uh, you know still go to church in the UK, I suppose, uh, or live in the kind of working class areas of the UK that are still mainly um, white, or even those people who've been displaced from places like London, you know, like the EastEnders uh, have been displaced from London. They basically don't exist in London anymore because they've been completely displaced by diversity. Um, so I think that those kind of people have never uh, really been sophisticated when it comes to political campaigns. And perhaps that's why it's so difficult for the alt-right to to be sophisticated in a way that we're not going to easily get caught out by, you know, leftists filming undercover documentaries, etc. The way I see it is we are, we have the most honest message, we're the most upfront. Um, we're not actually trying to do anything harmful, we're, we're trying to save our civilization. And uh, they shouldn't be able to get any gut your moments on us. I think we need to practice authenticity and sophistication together. And with both of those, we will win uh, because they can't beat that. They can't beat truth with sophistication. So I think we all need to work on that. And perhaps that's something that um, Eli, uh, a representative of uh, Identity Europa, maybe that's something that you can talk about. Yeah, so I think you're right in the fact that like doing these edgy triggering posters aren't the best idea. So um, a lot of people have been having this optics debate, and I basically kept myself out of it because I'm I'm constantly kind of talking behind the scenes with people about what the best way to move forward is because we really are all kind of moving forward together through a fog of war. So no one, you know, everyone acts like, oh, my answer is the best answer, but fundamentally, like, it's more complex, complicated than that. Um, I think that as far as these posters go, when we were in 2015, 2016, putting up really edgy posters to trigger the media and trigger the anti-white left, um, the whole point was to make our enemies act irrationally. Well, I'm sorry, but now after we've moved into the real world, I don't think we could make them act any more irrationally. We're almost 
uh, reach the limit to that, uh, where making your enemy act irrationally is having diminishing returns on how on how useful this is. Um, really, what I think we're moving into now is a period where we need to inspire our people and point out that the establishment's kind of connections between supporting a lot of the LGBT issues and Muslims and um, you know uh, Hispanic identity, Asian identity, Jewish identity, Black identity, all these identity groups. Um, the linking factor is that they're anti-white. And this is what's going to wake our people up. Look, it doesn't take someone that's very uh, uh, politically minded to really understand this idea. So what we need to be doing when we think about activism, we think about postering campaigns, and we think about just kind of trying to uh, you know, elevate the consciousness of our people, understand that um, you know, we need to basically provide them with something that's easy to sympathize with. So I think that these posters, I believe it was a poll campaign that said it's okay to be white. Um, was absolutely fantastic. I think it's it's awesome. I mean, we've seen a similar reaction with our posters. Uh, recently, Stanford has been having like a level 10 riot at the school. Like everyone's freaking out um, because of our posters, which, which really just talk, uh, you know, call white people to embrace their identity, you know, join our movement, join our group. Um, and it's causing them to absolutely melt down and freak out. So uh, I think that this is a good way to, to do it because these posters are easily defensible. Uh, okay to be white is hilarious just because it really does show uh, how anti-white the left uh, – actually, I'm just, I want to stop calling it the left – how anti-white the, uh, the establishment has become. So um, I think that these are really good strategies moving forward. And as far as the optics debate go and where I stand or where I stands goes, um, I mean, this is going to be something that uh, we deal with uh, you know, moving forward and kind of uh, showing what we can do or what our position is through action rather than these uh, ridiculous kind of like Twitter debates going on um, and things like that. So something that I, that I wanted to add, Eli, you talk about, you know, talking behind the scenes and these sorts of things. And I think that's a really good way of handling things. You don't want to show your hand too soon and too many times. And that connected me to the thought that, well, look what's happening in the media. The, there's a sort of bread trail that's forming, a breadcrumb trail that's forming. Right now we have Kevin Spacey. A week and a half ago is Harvey Weinstein. Who's it going to be next? And I think it's the, the pieces of bread are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think the media and the left is just revealing themselves. I think, I think they're just losing their minds so much that they're just revealing all of their corruption. They're revealing, they're just divulging all of their secrets it's like this big bubble is bursting and so when we talk about strategy i do think it's very very important to reiterate that we want to drain the swamp i think we want to be very proactive for our people our folk uh you know and for the ideas of philosophy and all these great things but i think we also want to remember that there are enemies and they're simply presenting themselves in the daily mail you know like twice a week or on drudge report like every other day you know this is bill cosby a few months ago our enemies are just presenting themselves they're just putting they're just they're sticking their necks out there and going take me down destroy my career kathy griffin six months ago and it's just on and on and i think the fish will get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and i think the bigger and bigger dominoes will start to fall if we can hammer on these people and stay on these people and drain the swamp and understand that the God Emperor has designs for us all, then we will not stray too far from what it is that we need to do strategically. So I would just say to people out there, remember, we want to we want to fight for Trump as well. We, we want to do our things and we want to push our 
our strategies the way we see fit. But the God Emperor is going after the swamp. And that is a major job that does need to be done, is not to be ignored, and we can apply our efforts and our genius in that effort. No, I, uh, I completely agree. And I think the good thing with good optics, um, I really hate the word optics, I don't even know why I'd use that bloody word. Um, but the good thing with good imagery, should I say, and good marketing material, is that basically, it can reach out to people. And we don't have to punch right. When you do the right thing, and when you're getting results, other people see the results you're getting and they want to join you. So if you can do the right thing and you can show people through results that doing the right thing gets you where you want to be, then you don't have to punch right. You don't have to throw shade on people who you believe are doing the wrong thing. You can lead people in the right direction by example. And I think the it's okay to be white posters are exactly doing that. They're showing people that you don't need to do things that are edgy, that might be offensive to certain people. You know, at the end of the day, you can make in great inroads and lead the movement in a positive direction. And we don't then have to have any of this nonsensical, as I call it, punching right. Because I'm sick of hearing people aiming all their fire at those who are on our side and not aiming their fire at positive, um, in a positive way at those who are our enemies and using their energies to do something which is actually good for the movement. And I personally would say to anyone, you cannot get arrested for sticking up a poster that says it's okay to be white. Print them off, stick them up. That would be absolutely fantastic. Well, we've just come past the hour mark, and that means it's time for everyone just to briefly say where you can uh, find them again, and then we'll move on to some more topics. And as ever, I am always watching the chat, so if there are good questions, make sure you get some questions in there, because we're going to discuss one or two more topics, and then there will be half an hour of questions and answers at the end. But let's just go around the group again. Ladies first. Brie, where can we find you? You can find me on my YouTube channel, Brie Fache. I'm doing a series with Mark right now called uh, Alt-Right 101, which is kind of a introduction into the alt-right and the issues that we care about the most. I also have my podcast, 27coursradio.com. Thank you, Brie. Eli, where can we find you and how can we donate to your uh, legal costs? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Eli Mosley IE for this week, um, and you can go and visit our website, identityeuropa.com. Um, if you'd like to join, there's an apply button there. Uh, right now, we are taking donations for our legal defense fund in relation to Charlottesville. Uh, this is going to be really important, guys, just because of the way our court, our, our legal team is going to be working with the rest of kind of uh, the legal like the defendants in this case. Uh, this is going to be very, very important moving forward that we do not let this kind of uh, set us back or damage us, which is what it's intended to do. Uh, they know as well as we do that it's a, fr it's a frivolous lawsuit. So if you go to the Identity Europa Twitter account, you can see uh, our video um, on how to get involved, how to donate, uh, and we'll be opening that up a lot more and kind of continuously going on a couple of shows this week and next week uh, to really kind of promote this, this, uh, this fund. So... Um, you can find me on on uh, Identity Europa's website and things and uh, and Twitter as well. Stephen, where can we find your work? You can find me at twitter.com/stevefranson, and then I'm also making videos on YouTube talking about self development, how you guys can rise in the hierarchy, how you guys can make your lives better, make your personal lives more satisfying. That is my aim and my focus, and I just aim to serve 
a cause greater than my own. And I'd just like to give a little update, of course. Uh, you probably know that I'm Tara McCarthy. This is my channel, and uh, this is where you'll find most of my videos. Uh, most of them are down right now because I am undergoing a lot of flagging by leftists. Um, so basically, my channel and my uh, Twitter and everything are like under attack, and they, they think that if they flag me enough, then the channel will get shut down. So that's... Uh, the theory and that's why I've taken down videos because it means that they can't flag them <laughs> um, and I am actually currently locked out of Twitter because I tweeted three different uh, tweets about one was about um, race and IQ simply saying to someone check out the stats on race and IQ that was pretty much what the tweet was that was apparently breaking the terms of service of Twitter Another one was uh, asking how they defined literate for a particular um, study uh, where they basically claimed that much of Africa was literate because that just didn't strike very uh, true to me. Um, so yes, asking a question about an academic piece of work. That was another tweet that got me ba uh, basically banned or locked out. And the third one uh, was the posting the statistics of uh, black serial killers versus white serial killers. Uh, blacks in the US are 13% of the population, and in 2010, they committed about 60% of the serial killer crimes. So that uh, probably flies in the face of what most people imagine a serial killer to be like, the average serial killer. And that's why I tried to red pill people of these statistics. But unfortunately, my efforts are <laughs> being squelched by Twitter because apparently talking about the race of serial killers breaks their terms of service. So uh, it's getting a little bit harder to talk about actual facts in the United States, you know, even on the social media. And I find this quite insane. And I really hope we're going to come to a solution regarding this. Um, you know, Eli, can I ask you about what you think we should be doing regarding this kind of social media issue of not being able to post basic facts because they might offend people. Yeah, so I think that uh, the the choice right now is nationalized Twitter or, or a call to nationalize Twitter or, or these types of social media things or regulate them like a, a, uh, a, a utility you would or, or like media you would. Um, they're kind of trying to play the best of both worlds right now where they're simultaneously claiming that they're the most important things for democracy in terms of Facebook and Twitter claiming this to deal uh, in relation to the Arab Spring where they're saying that they are basically the modern printing press, right, which is a war Europeans fought over, you know, a long time ago. Um, and they're also trying to say, no, we're a private company, therefore we can choose what isn't, isn't on our website and who's allowed to post and what type of news we filter and things like that. Uh, you can't really have the best of both worlds uh, in this situation. So it's really about do we call to regulate them as a, as a, as a utility or do we nationalize them? Uh, I think that you can take probably a page out of Donald Trump's book maybe um, and call for the nationalization, which could then lead to the regulation uh, as far as like a utility. Um, as far as like what to do now, I don't ever want to move away. I think I said this on the show last week, move away into our own sort of like ideological ghettos or our own echo chambers or anything like that. So I think we do for the time being almost need to play by their rules. Look, 
I'm somebody who was playing by their rules. I now I don't tweet those types of things. Uh, not that I disagree with them or anything like that. Um, but I was very much following their rules. And the morning after my Gainesville speech, I was still banned from Twitter. One of the edgiest thing I tweeted, I guess you could say, is essentially just a retweet with no comment or no emoji or anything like that. Just a retweet of a Jewish Daily Forward article. That was the most edgy thing that I had tweeted, um, and I still got banned. So even if you play by their rules, which I think like we should just kind of do that for now if we can, um, especially when it harms our reach and things like that, um, we should do that. But we also should realize that uh, the long-term, we have to come up with long-term solutions to this stat. Um, and, and just the last thing I'll say to the, say about this too is um, I am planning something about this. Um, Identity Europa is planning something about this. I can't really talk too much about it, but um, this is an issue I think that we can um, really get a lot of people, not just alt-right people, not just alt-light people, um, but a lot of people are behind this idea that something finally needs to be done. Um, they are, um, I think, overstretching or overstepping their power in a lot of ways. So um, I do have something planned um, that will be coming out, you know, or we'll, we'll be uh, doing pretty shortly, I would say, um, in, in terms of uh, within the within the, the end of the year, perhaps. So um, also one last thing, uh, internal documents have said that on November 22nd, I guess, uh, they plan on removing a lot of um, hate accounts and things like that. I truly believe that they're going to remove all of Identity Europa's accounts and probably most of or all the people on this panel's accounts. Um, and I think they'll go as far as banning people like Cernovich um, and, and things like that, alt-light types. Um, so I think that people need to start thinking about this issue immediately. Although maybe it'll help, you know, maybe uh, it'll stop this constant optics debate that's uh, everyone got knives at everyone's throats right now on Twitter. So maybe it's a good thing, huh? <laughs> I definitely agree. It makes me feel like one day we're going to have to have our had to have our own civil rights march just for us because we are the ones who are particularly targeted whenever these companies want to shut down any kind of free speech they pretty much just mean us and pretty much mean white people that's why people go and protest these rallies that we have because they know when we say free speech we're talking about our free speech but as far as a way of regulating this i don't know what the answer is to that because at the same time the only thing that scares me more than these companies having regulation over it is the government having regulation over it because the government has the same opinions that these companies do. And uh, there's very few people who are in our corner as far as our own free speech on these social platforms. The Supreme Court, as I've said before, has already come out and said unanimously there's no such thing as hate speech and you can't be arrested for hate speech in the U.S., thank goodness. But uh, that hasn't filtered down into these companies yet. If anything, I'd like to see the, there be a government, if there were to be a government regulation of it, I would like it to be, you can't use hate speech as an excuse for booting somebody off your platform. You have to provide some kind of legit reason and proof of their break of terms of service. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure I want the government regulating that. If they were going to regulate it in any way, I would just want it to be, you have to have, proof that you committed some kind of uh, break of terms of service or they can't use hate speech in any way, shape, or form as an excuse. So yeah, the, the Supreme Court has said you can't do that, but that hasn't filtered down yet. 
So I don't know what the answer is. We obviously need our own civil rights, so we are allowed to be on these platforms, and we're not kicked off for thought crimes. But at the same time, I don't know if I want the government regulating that because, quite frankly, they're just about as bad as these companies are. Well, I thought I'd mention that I see, and you are free to disagree with me, but I see in some ways that civic nationalism will lead to other more complex forms of nationalism. And what I'm seeing, and I just want to get back to what I was saying earlier, is that the left really is, they're just giving their necks up. I mean, they're just turning, they're turning belly up right now. And the media is putting them forward. And they're trying, of course, to uh, you know spare them some of the embarrassment that they're having. But really, there's a trend developing. And I think that if we can just use our platforms, and this is my point of view, to hammer these people. Dustin Hoffman, just I think during our show, has been revealed to have allegations uh, put against him. And if you'll remember in a film with Meryl Streep, uh, he did, they did a live take where she wasn't doing things the way he wanted her to do. I think the the film was called Kramer versus Kramer, and he slapped her across the face, and that was actually live. That wasn't scripted, and so we look at these people, these degenerates, and they're just they're just presenting their necks. And so I do like to get really to the core of truth and to the meat of things with scientific research and argumentation, and I find that very personally satisfying. I've noticed that I just have a bit more impact with my platform when I jump on the Trump train bandwagon and smash these pedophiles and smash these perverts. So it, it's just a thought of mine and it's an experimentation. I'm not too married to it, um, but I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. I find the best things really for posting on social networks, the, the, the biggest tweets that I've done are usually ones that show inequality. And I my advice for anyone who wants to produce a viral tweet or to produce a piece of propaganda that catches the attention of both people on our side or normies are things that are highly visual. For example, I went through a lot of press articles and I put together different articles that showed serious inequalities, one of which was a case where police officers had refused to jump into a, um, a lake to save drowning children, but at the same time the Metropolitan Police sent a group of police divers to rescue copies of the Quran that had been thrown into a canal because they thought that that might have been a race hate crime or some kind of religious hate crime that these books had ended in a canal. And that really shows the absurdity of a system where children can be allowed to drown as police officers stand by the side of a lake, but at the same time the police sent divers to rescue copies of the Quran from getting a bit soggy. And the, the real sting in the tail is it was actually a Muslim cleric who had thrown the Qurans in the canal because they were old copies that were a bit dog-eared so he wanted to dispose of them so really he was committing a crime which is called fly tipping and if you show these things i think that really enrages people it really shows people the inequality for example i, I did another tweet about a young guy who had uh, been sentenced to four years in jail for I think it was praising Hitler and making a racist joke online on his Facebook and making a few untoward comments. And then equally, 
one guy who described himself as a soldier of Allah, and the court refused to charge him as a terrorist, even though he was plotting to blow up a hospital, because he'd set his Facebook privacy settings to private, and they said that that infringed his privacy. Well, secretly according me and other people in the alt-right, that doesn't infringe our privacy, but reporting, basically charging somebody under the Terrorism Act for saying they want to blow up a hospital when it's a private Facebook post infringes his. Now these kind of things really wind people up and they show people the double standards we, we love under. So I would say that if we go down the route of playing on these things and showing that we are actually a, a white civil rights group that are showing the inequalities that are affecting and disenfranchising white people. I think that's a really powerful way of getting people annoyed. And when they're annoyed, they want to do things. You have to use emotional arguments. And I've always said this, facts and figures are fantastic, but they don't motivate normal people in the same way that emotional arguments do. And we have to. We have to keep pushing the emotional aspect because that's what motivates people to do things. And typically, it's something that motivates women. Women are far more emotional than men. And by pushing the emotional route, we will get more females involved. And trust me, more females equals more males as well. I think you've got some great examples there, Mark, and I've been very impressed with how quickly your Twitter account has grown because you always get great memes and graphics on there. And um, yeah, I just wanted to point out that, you know, Tony Podesta this week, sorry, not Tony Podesta, um, John Podesta, you know, he was trying to play the victim like, oh, Russians hacked my account. And uh, I just pointed out to him something that was revealed in the WikiLeaks and others also pointed this out, uh, but I think it's good to hammer it home his password was password. Uh, but in addition to that, so that anyone could hack that, you know, would a 12 year old could hack his email account. Um, knowing that his password is password, I mean, that's like one of the first things people try. Um, but in addition to that, he himself clicked on a phishing email. Um, he didn't have two factor authentication for his Gmail account which he should have. Anyone with any basic standards of security would have had that. Um, and yeah, he basically, through his own stupidity, gave his password away to some unknown party. Uh, and yet, he wants to sit here and cry victim about, oh, poor old me, I got hacked by an advanced hacking campaign by Russians, etc. The truth of the matter is, this guy had the most lax security you could possibly imagine, and yet this is a man who has been the right-hand man for the Clintons, um, both of the Clintons, and a right-hand man for Obama. And that will tell you the amount of security and how seriously these people take their jobs. Because, you know, for, for any basic, basic bitch office job, people learn <laughs> not to use password as their password. But anyway, that was just a little rant there. Um, let's hear from Steve. We haven't heard from you. Uh, what do you think? What kind of strategy do you think we should take on social media? Well, you know, uh, people just they're presenting their necks, and so we just got to hammer them. I mean, hammer hammer the enemy where they're the weakest, and they're not the weakest at uh, how to put it. They're not the weakest in psychology. They've they've dominated academia for eighty years. 
they're not the the strongest when it or they're the strongest when it comes to uh, you know we have all these anti-discrimination laws in place we have all this affirmative action we have all these diversity quotas in place and that's government entrenched but in the culture and in the media i think they really are the weakest i mean hollywood will never be the same hollywood will never be the same and that took two weeks uh, whereas draining the swamp i think is a longer process so I just say strike where they're weak. Uh, that's basic Sun Tzu's art of war. I listened to that a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying, "Strike them where they're weak, you dummy." You know, it's like, "Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. well, thanks." You know, very so. good point. And um, yeah, I think um, you're completely right about that. And actually, having you just said about the Hollywood thing, I, I think Hollywood really is one of their branches of propaganda, and I absolutely think we should take it down. You know, we should expose them in every way possible. And we should amplify the news when it does come out and make sure that everyone hears about it. You know, I am literally at the point where I personally feel disgusted about the concept of even watching a DVD made by Weinsteins because I know these guys are freaking pervs. And I think hopefully we can get a lot of the population to kind of go, wait a minute, I don't want my kids to watch that. You know, I'm not going to buy that. I recognize that logo. I know who owns that. Oh my gosh, that was that guy who tried to rape a 14-year-old. Hey, I'm not going to watch that movie. And I think we can definitely make space for new media, uh, alternative films made by people who actually have something more important to say than here's another useless sex scene um, to get your attention and make you spend money on watching mo Hollywood movies. So... Um, I think Bree, Bree has something to say on this. Well, I could go on about this probably for a long time and go into an epic rant, but I'll try to condense it. I used to be like the biggest movie buff in the world. I used to do live shows with friends where we'd have like a movie, movie trivia night. I just consumed that stuff like crazy. And once I started getting red-pilled and I started seeing the lies, the propaganda, the very specific angles that the globalists were taking in some of these series that I had adored for years. I couldn't unsee it. It was in everything that I absolutely loved. And as far as our Twitter tactics, I'd love to see Twitter just explode even more with everything that's going on in Hollywood. Woody Allen said a couple of weeks ago, this is going to turn into a witch hunt. Yeah, the complete degenerate perv who married his stepdaughter is worried about this turning into a witch hunt. Yeah, I'll bet Hollywood has spent years, decades, telling middle-class, blue-collar white Americans how much they despise them and how much they need to take a back seat to people of color or whoever else wants to destroy Western society. They took part in brainwashing our children. They're doubling down on that propaganda even more so now. I heard Steven Spielberg wants to make a movie about Syrian refugees and how we have to take in more of them. Guys, Hollywood hates you. They hate you. It's time for us to hate back and expose them. When Kevin Spacey is revealed to be like a pedophile, make a tweet storm about it. Make a hashtag. Whoever's next, put their head on the block. I don't care anymore. Just let them have it. Let them have it back because they have hated you for a long time. And if they are sticking their necks out, as Steve said, it's time to go after them. Yeah, they're making, I mean, they're just turning belly up and they're making themselves weak. And one more thing that I'd like to think about is, you know, I'm still growing. I'm, I have this growth mindset. 
And I want to look to see what people who are having the most impact are doing and where they're successful. So my ideas and my philosophy might be different than Roger Stone. But Roger Stone, you know, if you watch Get Me Roger Stone, the documentary, you see what a massive, massive impact he had on Trump's campaign and how he believed in Trump for decades. And so this guy is a real power player. And while I might have some different ideas and philosophy, I'm, I'm always looking with my growth mindset. I'm always looking like, how can I serve Roger Stone? How can if I met Roger Stone at some cocktail party or something, I could point to this evidence that I directly did something that was a benefit to him, that I did something that he wanted me to do. So in this in this sense, I'm a good order taker. I know I'm not the general. I know I'm like the sergeant in the uh, boot camp or whatever, and I know my place. But I'm always looking to serve people that are higher than me at whatever level I can. Thank you for that. And it's time to move on to our next question. And this is a bit of a, a bit of a change of pace. Could we reverse the negative trends in our society by supporting lavish social programs like two years of maternity leave, which would essentially trick women back into their normal role in society? Now, I'm going to start on this one because I think that's actually a good idea. If you want people to act well, I mean, in fact, this is this is this is interesting because just last week I put out a video called why fat shaming and slut shaming are good and this was a video on how we should shame people or how shame in society can be used for a positive how if we shame people for doing negatives that makes them not want to do the negative which is good you know if you shame people for being obese if you shame people for being lazy gluttonous greedy if you shame them for being welfare queens then it makes them less likely to want to follow that negative route in life and we want people to pursue excellence but more than just shame you need both the carrot and the stick you need rewards for people who do positive things as much as you need shame for people who do negative things. And I believe in a healthy state, women should be supported if they want to be mothers. And we should hold women up as heroes, really, as, as paragons of virtue, if they have a large number of healthy and well-brought-up children. If you have a system that basically rewards women for doing the right thing, if you have a system that doesn't push them into a soulless career, but instead says, look at this wonderful white woman. She's got three or four wonderfully brought up, well-turned-out, polite, well-mannered children, then obviously you are going to get more women going down that route. And the state in its current form has pushed women away from that. It's pushed women away from childbirth, from motherhood, from being a good wife. It's pushed them down the route of a career and it is trying to get them into basically lifestyle choices. That means they will have less children. And this is one of the key problems that faces the West. We are being outbred at an alarming rate because groups like the Muslim immigrants are ones who are essentially still following their natural gender roles. They're still having children at an alarming rate, whilst white people are having children 
at virtually no rate whatsoever, with birth rates as low as 1.3 in some parts of the world, which represent a huge threat to us. So yes, I do believe that in a healthy society, and if I was in charge of society, I would certainly set up schemes that incentivized and praised women who were going down the path of being good mothers. But this isn't just a male issue, because obviously this does affect females. So I'm going to throw this out to Tara. What are your thoughts on this, Tara? Hey, well, uh, someone's just asking me about my so-called Illuminati hand sign. Uh, just to clear that up quickly, I'm just going to say it's definitely not Illuminati. Chill out. Uh, and that's all I'll say on that topic. Um, but regarding policy, look, I think our number one priority has to be to improve the demographic situation. Okay, so I know many of us uh, on this panel and many of us on the alt-right have different perspectives. Some people are full-on socialists, some people are uh, completely uh, politically uh, libertarian, some people are very, you know, authoritarian, etc. So we all have different kind of perspective of how we'd like the ideal society to run at some point in the imaginary future, you know, when we build our utopia and all. But uh, we will not, we all agree that we won't be able to do any of those things if we don't exist. <laughs> so that has to really be our number one priority. So when we look at particular policies, when we look at, for example, um, the policy of should the government subsidize or back uh, school loans? Should they be should should the government be backing university loans? And what we see is that when white women um, go through education, they dramatically delay having children because they want to work to pay off their school loans uh, instead of starting a family. So that is, uh, you know, just looking at this from a very kind of coarse way. But I'd say that we should be anti government uh, loans and government-backed loans for higher education. It does not benefit us in any way. It negatively uh, impacts the demographic situation. And that's just one example, okay? Uh, personally, this is my number one priority. I like Even as a vegan, I stopped pushing vegan uh, propaganda, okay? I used to be into pushing vegan pro propaganda because I genuinely want us to stop factory farming animals. I think it's horrible. But what I see, and what the golden one actually told me a long time ago, he said, look, if white people become a minority in our own country, and if we basically go extinct, um, we are not going to have any kind of animal rights whatsoever. Animals are going to be treated extremely poorly as they are in third world countries. And as a result, you know, I realized that I was putting the cart before the horse. We have to get our priorities straight. And I would like to put this to people who talk about um, and campaign about uh, banning abortion, for example. In the US, the vast majority of abortions disproportionately are black. Okay. Uh, I know this is a very unpopular view. It's perfectly fine, understandable. But I just want, from a very pragmatic perspective, to tell you that um, if if we did actually push that through and ban abortion, from a demographic perspective, we would be in a horrible situation uh, because the black birth rate would literally double overnight. Um, so I'm just going to put that out there. Obviously, there are two examples of policy and uh, how it Im impacts demographics. But what I want to say is, however you think things should ideally operate in a utopian situation, 
remember that if we don't secure our nations for our people, uh, there's no way whatsoever that uh, any kind of policy such as that could be sustained. We won't even have power over our own governments as the people in South Africa in that situation where 90% of the electorate are African, black Africans and their vote basically means nothing. And they're just basically tax slaves to the blacks. That's how it is in South Africa. So uh, next person commenting on this. Well, I would agree with you as far as like the demographic change with blacks and everything. The only problem with going at it from that angle that I see is that when we talk about black abortions, we've got the liberals going, that's racist. And we talk about how we need abortion. You got conservatives going, no, we hate abortion. So it, it it's kind of a strange issue to talk about because you don't know how to navigate it, so to speak, because you have people who want to say that. Well, if you're encouraging blacks to get abortions, well, then you're racist. And if you have these uh, abortions, you got conservatives saying, well, abortion's wrong. So it is a tricky one. It is a tricky one to navigate. But as far as what the original question for uh, social programs, I will say that I want smaller government. I don't want more social programs. But if we were to have them in our future type of utopia, if we were to build it, if we were to win the culture war, and we were to incentivize more white women to not go to school and to have children as far as the social program goes i've heard craig johnson say this and i thought it was brilliant where he was saying okay if we want to get women back toward the family and away from uh, going to school but they still want to go to school you could offer them one free year of college for every child they have and you have to have a requirement that they're married for any of these social programs you have to be married also i heard this somewhere else i can't remember where there was the idea of give a married couple uh, $40,000 for a loan. And for every child they have, they don't have to pay back 10000 of it. You could incentivize women that way to um, have children. There are ways you could possibly do it. But once again, I'm a small government girl. I don't want big social programs. But women... I'm sorry. I'm a female. I know my own sex. We tend to be a bit vain. I could see women wanting that money and wanting to go out and buy pretty dresses, wanting to buy shoes. And if they wanted to go the education route, they could take the route of um, for every child you have, you get one for a year of school and work it out with your spouse over time. And that's more money that you don't have to spend on education and taking out a loan where you have to skyrocket student loans. So yeah, I could see there being ways of doing it. But I don't see our government having any social programs that are going to encourage whites to reproduce. I just don't think that's going to happen. Well, Brie, you hit it right on the head. And that's that you said you mentioned female vanity. And this is rampant. Female vanity is a massive problem in today's society. And so I want to tie in a little bit with what a wife with a, it's a purposeful wife, what she's doing. She's based in Utah, where I'm at right now. And she's really hooking into female vanity and she's saying, hey, actually, the thing that's desirable to happen is to have women making babies because it does all sorts of these things. And, you know, if, you ha if you're a woman that makes babies, well, then you're sort of a good person. And that's the thing that you want to be now, isn't it? And this is a really powerful, uh, you know, to get into what you were saying, Mark, this is emotional propaganda, but it works. It works, and she's having a massive impact. I mean, she was on BuzzFeed like six, eight months ago. You know, people were noticing her and going, oh, she's an alt-right Mormon troublemaker. So she's making waves. I think she really fills that market niche of how do we get women out of these soul-sucking, cubicle, 
you know, money pits, these debt pits, and get them into the house and get them into the family where they're most efficacious. She's nailing it. I agree. And one thing I need to say on this is people are saying, oh, well, if this policy was enacted now, it would help um, uh, uh, blacks, etc. It might not help us. Well, we're not talking about policies being enacted now. Obviously, um, the current governments uh, across the Western world are not going to enact any policies to help us. You know, I was reading that question as would we enact that policy if we came to power? Um, yes, I would. And equally, I would enact a policy in the UK that banned halal meat, banned the burqa, and essentially, so this 80% of Muslims who don't work were forced to find jobs or they were enrolled in a passport buyback scheme where they uh, basically had to sell their passports back to the UK government and take a large sum of money to go and live in another country. So yes, if it was, if we were running the show, we would do things differently. But we're coming up to two hours, so we've got time for one more question. But just to drop this in here, we've had a lot of chatter about this in the chat tonight. Squatting Slav TV will be with us on Friday. He's going to be our special guest, so make sure you're here. I believe it'll be 6 p.m. UK time and 2 p.m. Eastern time if you're in the States. He's an absolutely fantastic YouTuber, one of the best. He's got a huge following. He does some great videos. I suggest you check him out. It's going to be an absolute honor to have him on, but make sure you put that in your diary because it's going to be another fabulous show. But we've got time for one more question, so I'm going to pull this one out um, and I'm going to ask this. It's a question that gets asked quite a lot but we haven't got much time left so it'd be one that we can answer quite quickly. If we have far-left anti-white multiculturalist family members should we even bother having trying to have discussions and debate with them? Now I'm going to start this one. I'm going to say don't waste your time. If you've got people who are always throwing negativity at your good work, don't waste your time on them. We have limited time on this planet. See yourself as a salesman for the cause. Go out and speak to people who are receptive. Don't waste your breath on people who are not gonna buy your product. If you're selling steak, don't try and sell it to a vegan. Go to people who are having a barbecue and love their meat because they're people who are gonna buy from you. There is no point rolling around the floor having a fist fight with someone who is never going to buy your product and trying to force that product upon them. Take your message to receptive people. Use your time wisely and you'll find your life is a lot less stressful that way. I remember when I was at uni, I wanted to try and convert everyone and I would spend hours arguing with people on the left. It's a waste of time. I should just gone out and found people who were receptive to our point and red-pilled them quickly and built a powerful alliance of people who agreed with us. So yes, if you do have people in your family who are anti-white, multiculturalists, pro-left-wing, pro-liberal, in my opinion, it's best not to talk to them. And, or not talk to them about those things. Try and talk to them, obviously the members of your family, you know, try to talk to them about um, things that you'll just get on with and keep politics away from it if you can't convert them. And if they keep throwing negativity at, the, at you, simply don't speak to them. I mean, it, it, in my experience, it's not worth the stress of surrounding yourself with people who are constantly chipping away at you um, and, and having a go at you. Um, and it, in my opinion, 
if you have to cut out family members or friends who are constantly going to throw shade on you for your opinions, well, your life will be better off without that negativity. That's just my opinion. But I believe Bree wants to say something on this. Yeah, this is something I have a lot of experience with because before I became red-pilled, I had a lot of friends who were of a mixed race or in a mixed race friendship relationship, had mixed race kids. And in my experience, if someone has mixed race or if they have mixed race children or if they're married to someone of another race, move on by. I tried red-pilling a few of them. It's just not worth your time. It's not worth the anguish because you're pretty much trying to convince them that some of the biggest decisions that they ever made in their entire life were mistakes and that there was a better way of doing things. And I agree with Mark 100%. Those aren't the people who are, that should be our target audience. We should be moving on to people who we can actually influence and are going to be on our side and appeal to people who have real world problems and talk to them about things they actually care about. If they're having trouble at work with HR, talk to them about the diversity quotas. If they have a lot of crime in their area and it's a very multicultural area, talk to them a little bit about maybe race and a little about how there's a connection between race and crime. You need to adapt your message to your audience. And in my personal experience, people who are mixed race, are married to someone of another race, or have mixed race kids, they cannot be objective when listening to this stuff. And I can't blame them, honestly, because like I said before, you're trying to tell them that uh, they've made big mistakes in trying to red pill them on some of these things by not paying attention to them. So move on and direct your message toward people who are going to be able to hear you. Well, my own take is that if I really stand with the truth, then it's pretty hard to shake me. It's pretty hard to trigger me. And so uh, people can say a lot of interesting things, throw up a lot of interesting little manipulations. But if I can sit with my uncertainty and not <clears throat> freak out and lose my patience or <clears throat> attack them or, you know, sort of just lose this playful stance that I have with approaching these topics, then eventually, eventually I'll be able to find what incentives they're operating off of and appeal to that using reason and evidence. And these arguments and these this philosophy really does bear out. So I have a real I have real fun with it, even with people who are really nasty to me and calling me racist and all these sorts of things. I'm in it to find out what their incentives are. And it's hard to shake me off the trail. I mean, I'm I'm like a bloodhound baby. I'm just in there and I'm having fun. And if you can make it sort of positive that way and you can sort of show that you're, hey, you're stretching your brain here to try to figure out the chess game that's going on in their mind that's closed them off to reason and evidence, then they can start to feel more at ease with you, uh, you know, probing them and asking them questions and these sorts of things. So I treat it like a lot of fun. Yeah, so as far as like red-pilling family goes and things like that and family and friends that might be kind of... Uh, more uh, against you than you they are for you. I do think that the idea should be, you know, what are you going to get out of this conversation or whatever? And really, you should always try to keep conversations like that to common ground. One of the things that I learned kind of going through my ideological change was to stop practicing rhetoric on my family members and friends. Um, like save that for Twitter, save that for Facebook groups and things like that. Save that for, you know, debate groups. You know, uh, 
it nothing really good comes from it because like you are gonna make silly mistakes. You are gonna get emotional um, when it when you're dealing with family. Uh, the other thing too is you don't need to get them to if you are gonna have these conversations with family members who disagree with you. You don't necessarily need to get them to adopt your ideas or your principles or your or your conclusions or or, or even the premises uh, of your of our arguments. What you really just do is get them to understand why what you believe is okay. Um, so for me, I've had family reach out to me who say things like, I can't believe that this is what you're doing. I don't understand like why you're choosing to do this with your life. And I, and I've just, you know, straight up told them like, look, I'm very passionate about this. This is something that matters to me. And I really don't even talk about the specific arguments or issues or anything like that. I just get them to understand that this is something that I'm passionate about. You know, a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people's family here told them if you're doing something that you love as work, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, I'm doing that for me um, personally and explaining that to family members makes them really understand understand that argument or understand at least what I'm doing. Um, in the case of someone who's not doing this full time, you know, maybe, you know, there's similar ways of kind of posing it that way uh, to make it so it's not so divisive. Because look guys, um, you know, as much as we might disagree with our family and things like that, you know, and our race is an extension of our family, like you don't, you want to try to keep those relationships um, from really breaking apart or burning those bridges is, is my opinion on it. Um, and, and honestly, like if if like Mark was saying, if if it doesn't work out, um, then yeah, I mean you could you 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 could need to cut them out of your life or whatever you need to do. Um, I just think that you should uh, try not to be divisive. Look, it, it's not something that's it's not a good hill to die on or anything like that. You know, I'm all about really not focusing on the individual or small group or real life thing and focusing on like the broad picture. I care about more online reach out, reaching many, many people, um, rather than just going to each individuals and knocking on doors and saying, hey, have you heard about the alt-right? Let me tell you about the alt-right. I think that that's a kind of failed strategy and, and trying to convert your family members is just an extension of that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my take on the whole family thing. Yeah, I'll throw another little tiny piece of in advice in here um, before we uh, before we end tonight, and that's when you're at a family barbecue or meal or something like that. Don't turn it into a speech. Don't go there like you know, like some sort of mini dictator trying to convert everyone and pushing it upon your family. I've noticed that if you make it known in a quiet way what you do and what you believe in, you will find that members of your family uh, and members of your friends will gravitate to ask you these questions. Um, and for me, that's always worked well. I mean, I remember at one time, I've, I've got a number of friends, and they, they're all reasonably political, but one of them, he's become more and more political, and I didn't need to chase him down and force my views upon him. He'll now often ring me and go, oh, Mark, I just wanted to chat to you because I saw this in the news, and I just wanted your opinion on this, and oh, did you see this? And it's a lot better with friends and family if you quietly sort of let it be known what you stand for and those members of friends and family then come to you because that way it's a lot more polite and people don't feel like they're having things forced upon them because no one wants that feeling of turning up at a family barbecue and wanting to sort of hide from you because you're going to try and force your opinions down their throat. And I think that's a good way to be um, and it, it will mean you generally get along a lot better with family members. But as I said, if anyone is on the left in your family and they want to force their opinions on you and totally shame you for your wicked pro-white beliefs, well, them out and shame them because you just don't need that rubbish in your life you know a positive life 
means being surrounded by positive people or you'll always feel you're being dragged down but look that more or less brings us to two hours so i just want to um say to everyone who's been here tonight firstly to repeat myself from earlier on friday make sure you're here for squatting slav tv he's a fantastic youtuber he's a really great guy and it's going to be an absolutely great show so same time on friday 6 p.m uk time 2 p.m eastern time over in the us and also i want to say thank you for everyone in the comments thank you for being so supportive of both myself and the others in the alt-right who have got this hatchet job coming up against us. Seeing you all here tonight and seeing these wonderful comments of support and knowing that you've got our back, that really does mean the world to me. And honestly, you know, if I can be here for you in some way, if you need advice, if you need to talk to someone, please feel free to come to me. You know, you can write to me on YouTube, um, Twitter, or best to reach me is on Facebook. You know, send me a message if you need something. And my offer is still open. This year, when that, well, next year, sorry, when that next assault course is, you know, please all come along. Please stand by my side, run the race with me. You're absolutely wonderful people. You can find me, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Please sub my YouTube channel. Um, you might enjoy my latest video on fat shaming and slut shaming. And you can also download my book for free at www.thefallofwesternman.com. Just to go around the group once more to say goodnight from everyone. Bree, ladies first, where can we find you? You can find all my material on my website, www.briefoshay.com. You can find me on YouTube, Briefoshay, Twitter, at Brie underscore Foshay, and there's my podcast, 27 Crows Radio. Thank you. Eli, where can we find you, and how can we support you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter right now at Eli Mosley IE. Um, you can also go to our website, dendereuropa.com, and kind of see what we're doing and follow us on Twitter. Um, right now we're dealing with a legal case where we're trying to defend ourselves um, against uh, basically a lawsuit meant to hem us up related to Charlottesville. So if you go to our Twitter account or our donate page on our website, you can see how you can help us out. Um, all the money is basically going towards these legal battles, which are going to be important for the kind of uh, longevity of our movement as a whole, not just Identity Europa. Um, so thank you for any support we can get from that. Thank you, Eli. And I definitely recommend everyone supports Eli. Um, he's a new panelist on here. I'd like to see him as a regular. I hope you'll accept that invitation because you're a very powerful voice, a great speaker. And I think we can all agree, Eli is the kind of man we can all follow. He's the kind of man that's inspirational. He's strong. You know, he's just the kind of guy that I think would be a fantastic role model for young men in the movement. Stephen, where can we find you, my friend? Yeah, you can find me at twitter.com slash Steve Franson. I'm also on YouTube, Steve Franson. I love talking about self-development, self-knowledge as it relates to philosophy and the culture war. I got to stay empirical. And of course, I got an Instagram on the side. So I like doing a little bit of handyman work and taking pictures of the books that I'm reading. So if you want to know the things that I'm getting tuned into, those are the places to go. Thanks, Stephen. Now, I tuned into one of Stephen's live shows. I was actually in the gym when he put his live show on, so I uh, I could only leave a couple of comments because I was on the pec deck doing a big chess session. Um, but I would recommend people do sub Stephen, give him some support, show him some love. He always adds a lot to this show. Um, and 
he helps people with their personal development and we're all about personal development here and some people say sometimes I'm a bit harsh on the personal development front but that's not because I hate you that's because I love you that's because I want to see all of you guys achieving your goal I want to see you all being the people you can be I've been through a lot of crap in my life and I've made some mistakes and you know I don't want to see people falling into the same pitfalls and traps I did I want to see you all going on to be the best human beings you can I want to see you with a beautiful wife and a great job and a lovely family I want to see you all being the winners and Steven's a man who can help you with that so give his channel a sub listen to what he's got to say you know we're a big family here we're a big community support us all giving people a sub giving people a like on Twitter giving people a like on Facebook you know following people on Twitter it doesn't cost you anything but it means the world to everyone when they wake up in the morning and they see their sub count jump by 10 20 30 40 50 it's a boost for us all and everyone here is really fighting for the future of Western civilization we've got a great crowd let's build this alt-right community let's be strong with each other let's form a wall let's all be that community and help each other to be the best we can. Well, I'm going to pass things back to Tara for the final word because it's her channel, it's her show. She's always the best hostess. Thank you for hosting this again, Tara. And over to you. Good night, people. Well, thanks for being a great co host, Mark. Uh, going back to Eli's situation with the, um, the legal battles, you know, I, uh, I feel like the, um, the laws. Uh, and the kind of tradition of Western um, legal system is ultimately something that we should be seeing as a strength. Um, because especially in the US, you know, um, the founding fathers firmly um, on the side of the alt-right, in, the, in their own words, they're clearly more alt-right than many in the alt-right. And I think that we need to assert that in the legal system by winning legal battles and uh, basically showing them that their little fantasy fairy unicorn world isn't actually represented by the constitution. Um, so I think if we could do that and set some precedent, I think that would be a big win and I think it would actually make us stronger. So I genuinely do believe that we need to back um, not just in the US, also in Australia, also in the UK, we need to make sure that we win these legal battles. We need to get the right precedents that uh, we cannot afford to let them gain ground in the legal system. Um, but hey, uh, I'd like to say to everyone, thanks for joining us today. And we will be back with Squatting Slav on Friday, same place, same time. So see you then. Bye-bye.